Dr. A. E. Wilder-Smith studied natural sciences at Oxford University and received his first doctorate in organic chemistry. During World War II, he did clinical and laboratory cancer research at Middlesex Hospital and University of London and was and um, was made a fellow in the Royal Institute of Chemistry of London. Later he became director of research at a pharmaceutical firm in Switzerland and taught chemotherapy and pharmacology at the University of Geneva where he received his second doctorate in pharmacology. Shortly following he earned a third doctorate from a university at Zurich. From 1964 to 1969, he taught the action of drugs and medicine to medical students in the Department of Pharmacology at the University of Illinois Medical Center in Chicago. He has been a professor at the University of Bergen in Norway and at Ankara, Turkey. In 1970, he became consultant on drug abuse for NATO forces in Europe and lectured to thousands of American servicemen on the causes and cures of drug abuse and flashbacks. He has authored more than 50 scientific publications and written approximately 30 books. Presently, he lectures at universities and convention centers throughout Europe and is a consultant for a number of universities in Europe. He is married and has four children, three of whom are at medical college and one who is a doctor at a hospital in Frankfurt, Germany. He is a real true man of God, and I'm sure that you will be inspired as you listen to Dr. A.E. Wilder-Smith of Einigen, Switzerland, Switzerland tonight. Thank you. Dr. Wilder. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I want to talk to you, at least I don't want to talk to you, but I'm going to, uh, on terrorism and the criminal brain. Now, in a moment of great weakness, I did give this subject as a possible choice to Dr. Hillister, and he took it. That's the awful thing, because you imagine talking to people like you about criminals and criminal brains. I just look at your angel faces down there and see what's see what I feel like it's just simply unsuitable isn't it for you but it may help you to understand how people go wrong because uh, you know this time and the last time I was here I've been in many of the best homes and you see that kids don't go the way of their parents and some of them get into real trouble now I had one just recently. Heartbreak for the parents. Why? Why do people do that? We've had it happen in Germany and in Switzerland and England and France, all over Europe, and it happens here. Now, are there any, any general rules we can draw up to prevent this? I'm first of all going to read you what the Holy Scripture says about it, because that's more important than what I say. Uh, Matthew 12:34. for those of you who have your Bibles handy Matthew 12:34 and 30 yes 34 that'll do where Jesus said Matthew 12:34, Jesus said how can you speak good 
when you are evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That is, it's a matter of dealing with the heart, first of all. And then there's 15, 34, I need to read to you. Matthew 15, 34. Matthew 15:19. I'm sorry, Matthew 15:19. I took my spectacles off to look at you and just read the number wrong. That often happens if you look through the wrong spectacles, you know. Uh, are we okay? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a man. Now, the last one I want to read to you, friends, is a very nice one. And here you've got the nitty-gritty of it all. It's in Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 23. Where it says, to sum up all that I've read, just till now where it says keep your heart with all vigilance keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life for from it flow the springs of life I just pray one minute before we speak we ask thee, Lord Jesus, as thou didst of old, open our hearts, open our understanding, that we might understand thee and thy ways in this most difficult problem. We ask thee to bless and purify my lips, the thoughts and meditations of our hearts may be always acceptable before thee. Amen. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the type of criminality, the terrorism, the criminal brain, which is continually growing today, criminality. I heard the report up here, somehow or another, quite by accident, on the television the other night. It's still rising. And in Europe, it's still rising. And what's more, remarkably enough, in Russia, the communist countries, criminality is still rising. It's rising quite exponentially, the rate. Now, what I want to do with you tonight is look and find out why. Now, when the Arabs go to plough their fields, uh, and I'm going to plough your fields just in a minute, uh, then you'll understand what I'm talking about. Uh, the Arabs will take a stick and they hit it onto a donkey 
or a camel and they'll scratch the surface of the earth and then they come along and throw their corn upon it and before they've turned the back it's all been eaten up by the birds of the air that are waiting for it you don't get much of a crop you know even in a church but just scratching the surface everybody says to me oh it'll be too heavy you must not trust these people to sit still for three quarters of an hour an hour and listen to this dry stuff believe me the earth may be dry but if you turn it over properly you'll find quite a lot of moisture in it now I want to plough you up with a Massey Harris plough or a John Deere plough tonight and turn everything that was at the bottom onto the top and put the top on the bottom and that's known that process is known as ploughing now if you then come and break it down and then put the corn in and the fertiliser in and roll it you know jump on it roll it you get a crop you get 20 times more than the Arabs do but you know I'm sorry for them because it really is hard work in that heat to plough but here you can't be excused because this place has got I thought 30 motors outside to keep the air cool you know air conditioners so there's no excuse for you as Romans chapter 1 says ye are without excuse now I'm going to put the plough in just a little bit deep it terrifies me when dear people like Dr. Hillestar take me at my word you know and I give them a list of subjects and they pick out the worst and this is we have to plough most so I'll give you a harvest at the end I promise you that but it's hard work listening now it's hard work too to bring it I'll tell you that so let's have a go at it there are two types of terrorism and criminality that I want to mention criminality by that mean by that I mean offences against the public and against the absolute values which I believe should govern the public I don't believe in relative values I believe that we wouldn't have the millions of laws and petty laws and sub-laws and penal codes that we have to have and pay legislators millions of dollars a year to, to draw up and then redraw them up and then throw them out because they're no good if we stuck to the ten absolute values that the New Old Testament gives us I mean the Ten Commandments because they're all summed up in that you know and if we stuck to those we have the straightest signpost to Christ that there is and that's what we need to combat most of all the criminality we have now the first type of criminality we have is of course the personal criminal the second type that we have is the state organized criminality now if a state is full of people that uh, reject criminality then only a minority of criminals can rule now you find in certain countries that shall not be mentioned you find that that is the case that you have a minority of people who rule in a criminal matter and the majority because the minority holds the power has to submit to it and can't do anything in the end they lose courage and they sit there and just let it all pass over their heads and go to sleep as fast as they can as long as they're not too hungry now in this country 
That's not the case. You have a say in what happens. And if you don't, then of course you must take the consequences for it. If you know all about the code which God drew up, if you all of you stand as a man for it, you know, a minority here could never get through because so many of you are Christians and uh, really dedicated Christians. When we go into a university, you know, we don't have in Europe a crowd like you behind us. I've just been into the Marxist University of Bremen where every member of the faculty is a Marxist and a left extreme Marxist. And we did it the first time ever with three, two girls in, her sec in their second year and one boy, a freshman, a mobilized old university. You're living here in paradise, you know. Well, a, a foretaste of it anyway, because I'm a millennialist by, by conviction. But uh, if you've got a majority of people who personally reject it, then you can keep a, majority, uh, a minority in order. Remember this, that there are two uh, views on how criminality can arise. The first view is that the, that the uh, environment, the environment round about us determines it. And the second view is that it's the genetics in you that determines it. Now, I believe that neither of those views are right. I believe that they are both of them half-truths, and you can say something for both sides, as you'll see. There's a third aspect on criminality which you all ought to know about. It's this. It's what Lord Acton said. He said, power corrupts, that is, makes criminal, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Now, in many countries outside America, you'll find that minority uh, wields absolute power. And if Lord Acton was right, which I believe he was, you'll find the very fact that you put too much power into a man's hand, because of his weakness of his heart, he will become corrupt, corrupted by it. If you give him absolute power, he'll be absolutely corrupted. Now, of course, that doesn't fit into the environmental uh, explanation for criminality, criminality, nor does it fit into the genetical. It's probably both. It's the power, which is, of course, partly environmental and partly the power which you have in your hands, which will do it. You can make almost anybody a criminal, you know. Don't think when I talk about the criminal mind, and uh, listen very carefully what I say, don't think that when I talk about the criminal mind, I'm talking about those outside this church. Everybody has it in him. Some of us more, and some of us less. Some kids have more difficulty with it than others, and some have less. And I believe that to be due to a combination of the environment, your, particularly your family environment, your church environment, and also to your inner environment, that is, your genetics. Now just let's have a, a short overview of this whole problem.
Years ago, during the 19th century, there was a man called Cesare Lombroso. Cesare, you call him Caesar. Uh, Lombroso, L-O-M-B-R-O-S-O, Lombroso. And he was an Italian um, expert on criminal, uh, criminality, criminologist, and he said that uh, criminality was due to atavism. Now, you know what atavism is, don't you? It's called an atavistic reversion. Are you all with me? You all know these technical terms, don't you? I said it's going to plow you up, and I'm just about to start. Uh, it isn't too bad. It merely means that we allegedly came from the animals, that animals were our forebears, okay? You know, apes and half-apes and gentry like that. And that we, when we become criminal, fall back. We're throwbacks from that state. Well, of course, the whole idea is neo-Darwinian, and therefore, what we're happy to call bunk. It, it isn't true. But uh, I believe that... Uh, I believe that you call it garbage, don't you? Uh, it's, if I'm speaking by interpretation, and I'd never do, dare do otherwise in a church of Chuck Smith's, you see, that that's, wouldn't do at all. Uh, so I speak by interpretation when I speak. And uh, I think that idea is just ridiculous. But so do, most, so do most people today, because, you see, it's an insult to the animals. The animals... Uh, the animals whom I love well they will kill and things like that but they haven't half the skill to kill that we have so we're real consummate criminals mankind because we use our intelligence to do it whereas animals are mostly instinctive in these matters I mean a lion and a cat they just have to kill and that's in their nature since the fall I believe they'll get cured of that when Christ comes and sets up his kingdom on earth. But at the moment, they are suffering under the fall. Now, that's roughly criminality. You get it in the person, and the sum of it you find in the state. One of the questions my wife dealt with in her book was this. Dr. Hillister asked her last year, how could a people like the Germans, who are hard-working and intelligent, they certainly are and uh, how could they ever slip into that elephant trap which they call Hitler however could they do it now you think you know that a kid coming out of a good home where father and mother mum and dad looked after everything well you could say exactly the same thing of that kid however did you come to get into that mess you see, as Lewis says, C.S. Lewis, my old professor, he said the slide down into hell is not even a stepladder or a stairs. It's a slow, slow, gentle slope, and you don't know that you're going down the slope. That was the case in Hitler. It all happened very gradually, until they woke up and found themselves in the trap and couldn't get out. And that's just how young people... They don't do. They don't notice that they're on a slide until they wake up, wake up, and found themselves in the trap. 
I want to do an analysis with you of the criminal mind carried out by two experts, two American experts, whom you may know. They're both of them psychiatrists, and they both of them worked or work at the St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Washington, D.C. for the criminally insane. That is, they were put there because they were not guilty by reason of insanity. You know this formula, don't you? And these two psychiatrists who did their work, uh, they're not as far as I can find out. Uh, I don't want to uh, sin against any of your amend amendments, you know, and note, and note publicly their religion. I wouldn't like to do that. But as far as I can see, they're not what we call evangelical Christians. The one of them was called Dr. Samuel Jochelsen. The other one is Dr. Stanley Samenau. Uh, they did 14 years work, at least Jochelsen did, and Samenau came in later, 14 years work on people who were condemned and convicted on the basis of NGBRI, not guilty by reason of insanity. Now, Jochelsen writes, and he says, this, this is a bit of ploughing here, he says, it is the fashion today amongst us psychiatrists to maintain that the criminal brain is the product of his environment. Uh, he says that that is so general that most psychiatrists teach their patients that they are the result of their environment and that as society, as society has made them sick, uh, then society should pay for them to get healed. And they make them hotels instead of prisons, or they make prisons into hotels, whichever way you like to say it round, and hope that by changing the environment, they can change the criminal. Now, they've been doing this for a long, long time. Um, the communists believe this, you know. It's a well-known Marxist doctrine. It's the doctrine uh, reversed through 180 degrees of the concentration camp. The theory, the ideology behind a concentration camp is this. This man is an enemy of socialistic environment, socialistic society. Put him into a camp, give him no religion, which is the opium for the people, uh, give him plenty, plenty of hard work, and that new environment will make a new man of him. Now, I don't know. That's the socialist view. Uh, Hitler's view of a concentration camp led to the same thing but for different reasons you see the communists uh, put up concentration camps wherever they are and so did Hitler now the communist view was to change the environment and make a new man of the person that's the, the specific stated intention of these people Hitler said oh no oh no these people are genetically defective. What we'll do, this is what I make careful what I'm saying here, what we'll do is starve them and work them to death because they're genetically incurable. And they reckoned that it would take about 180 days to extract with a minimum of food 
and drink the maximum amount of work for them and then if they didn't die kill them and there was a special arrangement for opening their jaws taking out the gold and giving it to the Reichsbank there was a special arrangement for shearing off their hair and selling that uh, to foreign countries and anybody take it for bedding and things like that every part of the body which was then when you used the most of it was burnt up it was a planned method of killing that which you couldn't correct you see and making a profit out of it at the same time now read the books on these things you'll find them um, everywhere in the literature if you go and look and some of the references in my wife's work and some in, in mine works you see the same results came out for different reasons so don't put things in the same category because the same result is there now let's just have a look at the evidence for both sides environment because so many Christian parents have said to me in recent years how could kids come out of my house our house and land like that we had the Barber Meinhof group in Germany you know and they just simply shot down everybody in their way and you know some of them came out of pastor's homes we had the criminal lawyers that they had access to who only studied law in order to defend such people such criminal people in the eyes of the law plenty of doctors houses have supplied criminal, criminality of the worst type and people just say well how can an environment like that even a pastor's environment produce a kid like that now let's just have a look the police in Liverpool in England where my son uh, qualified in medicine last year and which we have fairly close contact with they have not far from the railway station two huge high-rise buildings full 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 new and full of families two high-rises the police are seeking permission to blow those two new high-rises up because they cannot cope with the with the criminality that comes out of those high-rises and they want to blow it up the railway won't let them blow it up because it's too near their main lines to London but they want to do it you see they're fully convinced of the Marxist doctrine that the environment produces the criminality and the trouble is there's something in it that's the trouble you see if you get a bad environment even the Holy Scripture says that evil communications evil environment corrupts good manners but they hope by knocking out the environment that they'll produce good manners you see the doctrine's half true and therefore everybody's confused on this now Jochelson and Salmano went into this that's evidence you see for the environment but it isn't complete enough now if you take the evidence against the environment being so you can take the pastor's homes that we've mentioned the doctor's homes the lawyer's homes which certainly law-abiding I don't know whether the pastors were very conservative or liberal I wouldn't, wouldn't dare say a word on that but I have minutes if you know what, you, what I mean uh, but they say well how can 
A home like ours, an environment like ours, produce kids like that. You see, uh, we're really stymied on the cause of these things. Take another one. Here's one that ought to have worked. Stalin himself, perhaps one of the biggest personal criminals with more souls on his conscience than anybody else living at that time. You remember the 30,000 Polish officers? He got out of the hands of Churchill after the war and murdered every manjack in a wood in Austria. And that man was a candidate for Greek Orthodox holy orders. Studied in a seminary. Why didn't the environment do something to him? Because he didn't. So you see, you've got it some cases good and some cases, some cases bad for the environment producing lawyers, um, criminal lawyers' brains and criminal other people's brains wherever you, you look around. Some good homes don't produce good people and some good homes do. Now, what can we say about it? If you look at some of these good homes, you know, that have produced criminals and which the fascists quote to say the environment doesn't do it. When it works, the communists vote to say it does. When it doesn't work, the other ones come along and say it doesn't. Uh, I'm putting you into the complexity of this. Don't give pat answers, ABC answers. They're usually wrong. They're usually one-sided. Now, if you look at uh, these homes, and I've looked at some of them, you will find, you know, that even though it was a pastor's home, we had a number of pastors, sons and daughters, who shot tens and twenties of people down on the street and then murdered their victims. If you look at those homes very carefully, now I'm going to say something hurt you. You find that there was very little prayer in those homes. You find that the kids were refrigerator kids as we call them. They came home, opened the fridge, took out a can of something, slapped it on a piece of bread, with some butter, ate it, and went. And they did that for years. You know, the ordered home, where father and mother get down to breakfast together, and before breakfast, they'll commit the day at table. If they haven't done it in bed beforehand as well as we try to make a practice of doing, well, we do make a practice of doing. You know, they don't have what we call the spiritual nourishment regularly as a family at table every day I know lots of Christian homes you know that will say we thank the Lord for these good gifts Amen they'll say that and I'm very thankful when they do but you know that isn't enough to produce a Christian environment before we've tried to do it and our house is an open house where we get hundreds of unbelieving students in any time of the day and any time of the year. We make sure that there's first of all the rewashing of our souls at the beginning of the day in the blood of Jesus to purify us from all sin. And we confess what we've done wrong. Because I'm no angel, you know. 
ask my wife privately afterwards. And I need, I need to, to get cleansed at the daybreak. And then we read God's Word. And while we're eating, we'll discuss it. Now, I'm not holding myself up as a paragon here because so many used to do it. And they used to have three interesting, good thoughts on the Word of God, Word of God every day. At our table the other day, I'm just giving you these practical examples, not in any way, not in any way to be an example, but just to show you how we've solved this problem. Because we've got three boys and one girl, and they've been away from home since they were 13. They went to boarding school, public school, you know, what we call public school, which is a very private school, in boarding, away from home, in a foreign country. They were in England, we lived in Switzerland. But you know, their dangers were very, very great. Now we prayed for those children by name every day at table, every time we met. Because the enemy, you know, does go about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may consume. So we've done that. Now when you look into these homes that I've talked about, so-called Christian homes, wealthy homes, and all the rest of that, the idea of the family table being really a family altar, and not long-faced. You know, that idea, family know-how, is just about dying today. The know-how, what to do with the family. And we've had to commit our children from 13 years onwards. What they didn't learn before 13, they didn't learn from us. You've got to get into them and get the love of it into them. Tell them Bible stories, take them on your arm and tell them all about David and Goliath, you know, as a child, according to the age they need to know. And if they get that right into their hearts so that they love God's word above gold, when they go out into the world, they'll see the difference. And children see much more quickly than we do, you know, than I do anyway, I'm old now, but they see very quickly the difference. And they come home and they love it. They love even now at their age and one of them's a doctor and one of them's a dental surgeon and two of them are studying medicine. You know, they'll come at night when the telephone's off and all these things have stopped and they get into bed with us and we'll read the Bible together. We read it in Norwegian together, you know, because we lived in Norway for a time and that's the family gathering of the day. And then they'll come and say, oh, Daddy, you pray with us all. And they love it. I mean, it isn't an unpleasant duty. Now, it's one of those little things that induced my wife and myself to write that book called The Art and Science of Marriage. It's so important, friends. And if we don't do it, if you don't bring up a child in the way it should go when it's young, when it's older, it will, if you do bring it up in the way it should go when it's young, when it's older, it will not depart from it. That's a promise of the Holy Scriptures. But if you don't take the bringing up of the family, the household of God, as the first thing in your life, more important than your meetings, more important than your career, more important than your bread and butter, if you don't do that, then you can't expect the environment to work synthetically on them. 
The environment certainly is important, but uh, it's important for a Christian in a double way. That in the first years of their life, they know that the supreme joy of the parents is God's Word and Jesus who is the author of it. And that sticks in the child. They love it. Do you know that even mentally handicapped can understand that, although they won't understand their algebra, but they'll understand that. And we've seen it time and time again. Well, now that's what I mean by environment. And that's what I mean by a Christian environment. Now, about the genetics, well, my wife's my wife, and I'm her husband. And about the genetics, well, we had to take what what comes, you see. But our job is to treat and bring up, as I'll talk about tomorrow night, the Lord willing, how the genetics can be fructified by the environment. Now, let's get back to the science of this. I'm just afraid to get started on this because it's rather hard, but never mind. Johelson and uh, and Samanoff, they tell us their findings, I'm going to give you the data now, on 255 hard-boiled NGBRI, not guilty by reason of insanity patients, during 14 years. Now, this is a good scientific work, which I would advise every teacher here to have a look at. Take a look at it. It'll give you insight into the children that are put into your, help, your, into your care. Now, they say this. Um, they say this. The first... Uh, the first conclusion they drew was this. Listen so carefully. Bad economic and social conditions are not the deciding point for criminality. You got it? Bad economic and social conditions are not the deciding point for criminality. What they say is that the deciding point Oh, are you listening to me? The deciding point in criminality is wrong methods of thought instilled into a child in its youth. Wrong methods of thinking. These two people came to that conclusion. They are not trained in thought. Now, you remember this. Uh, friends, that uh, the Bible says if there's anything good, if there's anything holy, if there's anything clean, think on these things. If you concern your brain all day long with the horrible things of life, and there are plenty of them, which you get rammed into you by television, newspapers, and radio all day long. If you only give your brain this sort of grist for its mill, if you only feed this sort of input into your brain, then your brain takes on the stain and the color of what you put in. If you feed a child on creamies, his brain will get disturbed and stained by them. Now, I'm not, just not going to say you shouldn't read any crimis. I have read one or two. I don't read many. I tell you, they're too boring for me. But if you only feed your brain on that sort of thing, your brain will begin to think crookedly. And these two psychiatrists say 
that the study of these 255 hard-boiled ones had been from the right of the start never trained in putting out a bad thought and knowingly putting in a good one knowingly considering Jesus just as the Bible says consider Jesus that is feed all the evidence that you have about him into your brain and that will straighten up your thinking processes because you know most of our schools I'm talking about Europe now our children went to school here but they left when they were about 14 13 or 14 and I wouldn't like to say what it's like now but most children are stuffed full with facts and never told the methods of dealing with facts to form an opinion now the Germans where I had most experience in my later life are certainly full of facts but what to do with the facts came out when Hitler came he promised them bread and they were hungry so they believed him now that's no basis you know for believing anybody and they've never been taught that basis if anybody promised you anything you'll be had by any confident trickster and they were now I wonder if this country were to get into real economic difficulties you've got enough but here didn't like it is in Europe you know they work on a far small, much smaller margin than you do and if anybody comes and promises them anything they fall into the the con man you say and we can do it so easily and these kids have done that well that's the first thing I wanted to tell you bad economic and social conditions are certainly not the condition the main condition for uh, criminality wrong thinking is wrong methods of thought now the second thing is he says and this is quite a startling one rapists and murderers are not fundamentally different from normal people well I think about that for quite a long time now let me try and help you have you never seen red yourself have you never got really worked up and all uptight about something when you weren't capable of controlling yourself I tell you I have even though I've been a Christian for many many years and I say that to my shame you get overworked to the point where you can't do anything more and you'll do things you regret I know what it's like well now if you've carried out murder you know when you're all uptight and that red flag is put in front of you if you've done it in your thought remember what Jesus said about the man who looked at a woman to desire her and he said that if he'd done it in his heart he'd already practically done it with her and the same is true as murder you know if you do it in your heart you're not much different from them because they've only gone and executed what was in their heart and so these people are saying that it's out of the heart that the evil thoughts and the criminality come right here in the center it's not environmental at all the environment can increase and develop what we've got in us but only that what we haven't got in us it can't increase now the third thing he says that criminal deeds are not always impulsive they're impulsive they don't do them on the spur of the moment 
Most of the criminal deeds that he found out during the 14 years had been well thought over, well considered and well planned. The Bader-Meinhof group in Germany certainly planned their criminality down to the last second and they carried them out. So they're not impulsive. They're the result of considered thoughts of their own heart. Now the fourth thing he says, and I'll get through this list quickly and then we can apply it to ourselves. The fourth thing he says is, they don't follow their own norms. They don't follow their own ways of criminality. They choose them and make them up themselves. That is, he came to the conclusion that from youth up, they had worked out how to do these things by considering them. And therefore he says their ways of thought are wrong. And I think he's right myself. If you can clean your heart up, you won't have any difficulty with your hands and with your eyes and all the rest of it. But he's getting the heart clean is the real problem. And that's what he says. Now, uh, fifth, he says that if a criminal is taught, as your criminals are taught, that society is guilty of making them criminals, then he'll immediately come up and say, well, if the society has made me criminal, then I'm going to take sure, make sure that my prison is a hotel, I'm going to have free radio, I'm going to have free television, I'm going to have free lawyers, I'm going to have free access to libraries, armchairs, and access to criminal lawyers too. Okay, that's the first part uh, about the examination of how a criminal works. The second part is this, Yoffelson and Samanov say that not one you listen to me, because this is coming up with Hinkley trial, you know. His parents go to a Christian church, where I've spoken uh, quite recently to audiences of 2000 at a time. He comes out of a family like that, poor parents. Oh, so hard, isn't it? I mean, one's heart goes out to these dear Christian people, and they're completely bewildered. They don't know what's happened. How should they? Nobody's ever told them. Now, you pastors ought to hold a little course of psychology on this, on what happens to kids who get the wrong environment to bring out that which is in them. That which is in them is genetic. But the environment you can change a bit. Now, I'm not going for Marxism, because it only goes so far and no further. Now, he says this, not one not guilty by reason of insanity patient was psychotic. That means, in ordinary straightforward terms, that all of them had their own free will. What they did, they chose. If they'd been psychotic, that is really insane, then they would not have been responsible. But as they weren't psychotic, their wills were in order. They weren't mad when they did it. This was thought over in thought, but the thought was screwed up. The thought was crooked. Now, all of them, he says, the second point, is they had deformed characters. They were psychopaths or sociopaths. Okay, but the deformation was self-inflicted. And their wills were still under their control. Third thing is this. No known standard therapy here it was I gathered that they didn't know what we know of evangelical Christianity that there's no known standard therapy 
to treat such poor people. No known therapy to do it. He's speaking as a man who doesn't know the therapy that most of us know about. The fourth point was that they had no organic illness. One patient in 255 had pretty mild epilepsy. But not even he had done a crime while he was in a seizure. Not even he. So it isn't anything to do with illness at all. It's a matter to do with the will, and it's a matter to do with a crooked, deformed character, with a crooked uh, way of thought. Now he says, how can we identify these people so that we can protect society? When he says this, that the criminality begins very, very, very young indeed. He says you can tell a toddler, think of this, you can tell a toddler that has the tendency more than other people to go that way, because we all have that tendency to do it. But you can tell those that are particularly in danger quite, quite young. And he gives you the characteristics of, ten, of, of, of finding out. He gives you how to make your diagnosis. Do you want to listen? These are experienced psychiatrists. This is new psychiatry, created a revolution in American circles when this came out, and in European circles too, because nobody dared say it before. He says, as a criminal child, the first thing you'd recognize it by is they don't want parental love. Now, he doesn't mean, you know, that they won't cuddle or anything like that. But he says they reject any discipline and any love that the mother and father might offer. Now, some kids are more loving than others, that's quite plain. And some kids are less loving than others. But he says, the more a child is tending to criminality, the less it will want of true mother's and true dad's love. Now, that's a very remarkable thing. If you've got a child like that, Samano and Jochelsen say that that child will be deformed in character unless you do something about it. And what he says is that that child needs very, very firm, firm love and discipline. Other children don't need it as much. But these children, from their genetics, do need it more than others. Now he says the way that you can develop that tendency towards criminality, some have it more, some have it less, is that the mother's foolish enough that because it's her child to allow no discipline. Oh, Daddy, you must not spank my child. You know? That child is worse as discipline, as a, as a genius. Uh, do you ever read Bert Recht, the German author? I don't advise you to. It's... Uh, Disgusting German, you'll never learn any German or any morals if you read him, but he's like that. Now, he was a Marxist, and he corresponded in all these characters that I've given you exactly to the criminal child. He's dead now, and his fame uh, still carries on in Germany, and all the school children have to read him. But his mother, whose love he absolutely and totally rejected, worshipped him totally 
And the result was he never had the slightest discipline at all. And the result was he got a deformed character. Now I'm not judging. I would not judge at all. I, I don't like to do that. But what the damage that he did in talking about these things as he did, the filthy language that he used is not to be used in a public place, let alone in a church. Um, such a child, he says, the two doctors say, will endure no discipline, will endure no correction, and no criticism. How about you, Daddy? No criticism. Now, I'm father, you know. My children see me as I am. I've got to take it from them. My wife sees me as I am, and I have to take it from her. I have the tendency to push it away from me. That's in me. And by not allowing myself to be disciplined, I show the characteristics of which these two doctors are speaking. How would it, how fine it would be if we could talk to one another and really help one another without judging one another. Now, the next characteristic these two mention, uh, quite interesting, they're enormously active, these children, they're criminally hyperkinetic, as we call it, and they bend everything to their will with force. You know, they really put the old elbows out and go right through. Do you recognize yourself? I don't. It's in us. And if it isn't corrected, we're on the slow, slow, smooth slope to being incorrigible. I've talked with a lot of my colleagues, you know, about the scientific nature of believing in a creator. And if you say there's purpose in anything, that's like a red bull to a flag. Now, the danger is, they think that every criticism is wicked and personally aimed at them to reduce them to inactivity. We're all like it. We all have that tendency. And he finds, the criminal child finds his comrades very quickly, his comrades in crime, but his fellowship with them is always exploitive. In reality, that child remains a loner, although he'd be surrounded by other loners, and because he sees that and wants more fellowship, he has outbreaks of temper, tantrums, and rage. Does it ring a bell? Do you understand me? I do. A deep, deep insight into these people, and the Holy Scriptures help you more of it. Endures no criticism, uh, he lies as naturally as breathing. You can't trust a word that they say. And he's ruthless. And he can go from ice, this is how the psychiatrist put it, I'm always finished with the plowing. He goes from ice to tears in a microsecond. He can weep with a child and dangle it on his knee and laugh and then go and do a crime all in the same breath. He's exceedingly hyperkinetic. And then the last thing I want to say is this, that he's convinced that he's good. And they said, everybody else that misunderstands him. Do you recognize that one? 
I do. And this is his norm. He thinks that. The last thing I must say, I've forgotten this one, the last one I see is his intelligence, his consciousness, is like a flashlight beam in a dark room. You know, if you have a flashlight beam in a dark room, it just lights up a little beam into a splash of light on the floor or on the ceiling, and all the rest is dark. And that man, when he's doing his wicked work, his criminality, can cut out every other disturbance and just concentrate on getting through that one crime and not see anything, not even see the cops coming. He just is capable of such concentration that he can almost burn a hole in the floor with his consciousness, you say. He cuts out everything else. He knows that 50% of the crimes, only 50% are caught. 12% lead to arrest, 6% lead to conviction, and 1.5% lead to prison, and he risks it. He does it perfectly knowing, perfectly risking, risking it. Now, he, they sum up these two by saying that all men and all women are potentially more or less criminal according to these categories he's given. But he does say this, and this is one of the most important points. And it confirms what the Holy Scripture is saying. He says that the frontier between criminality and non-criminality can be shoved around. If a person is, say, normal, say, 50% of him will go the right way, and 50% of him he have to fight. But he says you can, by bringing up a child in its youth with discipline, you can shove that frontier over that he have far less difficulty with the criminal side and say 75% of him will want to go the right way. You can displace the frontier between the two. Uh, but he says the main thing that we need, and this is for the permissive society in which we live, the main thing that we need is loving but firm discipline right up to puberty and afterwards it will take care of itself right up to discipline uh, right up to puberty discipline is an absolute must and above all discipline in the ways you think when you find yourself concerned with sinful thoughts say they're sexual did you say in the name of the Lord Jesus I do not wish to think about this please free me from these sinful thoughts if you're given over to greed and thieving that you don't anymore allow those thoughts in your mind it can be done but it has to be started very 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 early now I'll tell you one little story that I heard recently just to ease up the ploughing because I'm almost finished with that in Sweden it is not allowed to discipline a child uh, by spanking it you all know what spanking means don't you you know put it over your knee whacking it not brutally but ordinary discipline such as everybody used to know about but if you say anything about it today you know uh, people think that you've gone back to an atavistic reversion if 
you understand what I said at the start, that you are the ape man in you is coming out. Believe me, apes are far more foolish with their kids than we are. Now, they don't whack them at all, really good. Anyway, you can push that out. This little, little story uh, is quite good. Uh, there was a, Swiss, a Swedish family, and the boy of about nine or ten had done something very, very remiss. I won't tell you what it was, but it was something remiss. His father took him out and laid him over his knee and whacked him, you know, with his hand, for doing it. When a neighbour saw him, and the neighbour went straight to court and called on the penal code and said, no father is allowed to do that. That's wrong. So they hauled the two of them up into court. And the father said he was only trying to do what he thought to be right because to do things like that and let it by would make him guilty too and he justified on that basis. So the judge called up the little boy and said, now then, what do you think of a father like that, brutal like that? Do you think he's worthy to be a father? So the little boy said, sir, sir, I love my daddy. Daddy's often done it to me because I've tried to push, push daddy over the precipice you know like children do I've tried to provoke him to wrath wrath for you I said I would speak by interpretation yeah. <laughs> and he said I know that my daddy loves me and I know that he's not brutal I know that he's trying to make the best of me and I ask you to allow my daddy to discipline me as he thinks fit because I'm sure he'd succeed because we both love one another. And Joe, the judge couldn't do anything to him. The judge let him go and said, Okay, I understand the situation. You are not the permissive society, are you? And the father said, No, I'm afraid not. Understand the story? Now, Jochelsen and Samanoff, they come now to the important point. They come to all these deep-reaching conclusions and they say now what therapy are we going to give them? We don't know of any medicaments any medicines that are going to help and neither can I help them by psychiatric talks what am I going to do? So they thought about this for a long time and their heads almost blew up while they were trying to find an answer because this is this is the problem of a nation and the problem of the nations and they came up with the following now just listen very carefully they came up with the following the first one was they offered each man well first of all they took each man into psychiatric session each day and they read out each day all the filthy things they knew about them you know they deceived their wives they committed adultery they'd stolen from their fellow patients and they had uh, betrayed their fellow patients and each day these people would be confronted with two hours for what for what rogues they were and after about six months of treatment like that you know these people began to break down because they really began to see they couldn't deceive the psychiatrist anymore all they were getting was psychiatry uh, until now which had said that the state and the society was guilty and that they'd made them like that and the state was therefore uh, therefore bound to try and 
give them a hotel instead of a prison. And then they made these sessions till the men couldn't stand any long, longer. And when they broke down, the psychiatrist would say, I give you three options. These were all in prison permanently, you know, lifelong. The first option is, listen, suicide. Here's the rope. The second was, now this is no joke, uh, the second was status quo. You can stay as you are. And you have every day two hours with me and I'll talk to you such as your father ought to have talked to you and didn't. And I'll do it. Stay as you are. Here's the second option. Want it? And the third option was you jolly well change yourself. Right brutally, if you don't change, you only got the other two options. Well, you know, nobody took the rope. Not one. And there was nobody who in the course of three or four months took the status quo to stay where you are. They all knew what it, they all wanted to know what it would be like to change. To change. Metanoia. To think again. You know, metanoia is a New Testament word for conversion. To think again. What would that mean, doctor? Well, doctor said, that would mean that you would write every day down in your diary, here with the diary and the pen, you'll write all the wicked thoughts down that go through your head the whole day. You'll write them all down. That's the first thing. No concealment here, because I shall find out, and they showed that they could find out. That's what made everything so, 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 so frightful, that they could find out, these psychiatrists, what was going on. That was the first thing. So he had them over diary. The second one, oh listen, oh ye Americans, lend ye your ears. No alcohol. Prohibition. Bit legal, isn't it? And what do you think of that? Third one was no sexual intercourse with anybody but your own wife. And the fourth one was if after all this you do have thoughts which you know to be bad, if you do have them, not only would you write them down. But you'll come to me, and you'll confess them to me, and we'll talk about them. The fifth one, oh ye Americans, again lend me your ears. Buy nothing on credit. <laughs> All things have to be paid for immediately with cash on hand, or you'll be tempted to steal again. Nothing on credit at all. And you will rigorously and practice this total commandment to change your behavior. Well, you know, over a matter of six or seven years, one and a half patients stuck it out. One and a half patients stuck it out. He wasn't quite sure about the half patient, how much he'd concealed, but he put him down as a half for uh, the sake of being statistically honest. And the poor man Yockelson himself, after 15 years of work, 
He laid down his weary head and he died. Frustration. The only thing he could offer was the law. The law brought him to complete frustration, although he knew that it was a matter of the law and the breaking of the same which was causing the trouble. And he got no better therapy than that. He was offering the Moses. And your Moses is a very, very hard taskmaster. He's very just. But uh, there isn't the strength there in the patient who knows his weakness. There's not the strength there to do it, even though he knows that it would be the way to change and get out of the awful predicament in which they were. Now, ladies and gentlemen, just draw a little red line under what I've told you of what psychiatrists and the most advanced and the most faithful science psychiatrists can do. Now, I know we have Christian psychiatrists and all the rest of it. I'm talking about the average run of psychiatrists in this way. And these were certainly good psychiatrists, universally recognized today in the world, although most people won't try to put through their doctrines into practice. Now, I want to tell you to stop and finish a case you all know about which concerns this. You remember Charles Colson? All of you do, don't you? Born Again, that wonderful book that we have even in German today. He was a criminal, you know. He was self-admitted to be a criminal. And when he was found out about the Watergate affair, he went to his colleagues and asked what they thought he should do. And most of his colleagues, particularly the law firm of which he was a member and which was going to defend him in the Watergate case, told him to deny everything. And he was given at that time by a Christian man in that neighborhood whom I know. The book by C.S. Lewis, my old professor at Oxford, called Mere Christianity. You all read it? Oh, it's a wonderful book to read. Mere Christianity points out that mere Christianity is owning up to what you are. Starting to think straight, recognize your position, and ask for forgiveness for those who's paid the, for, to him who's paid the bill for you. Now, he knew that he had to own up. And when his friends, the lawyers, told him, don't, you'll get off. We'll see that you get off, that you're not convicted. When he said don't, when they said to him don't, he realized immediately, after reading mere Christianity, that that would be the exact opposite of the therapy he needed. That is, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us in our hearts from all unrighteousness. That is to cleanse the hearts such as Samanoff and Jochelsen were trying to do by the law. Now the law brought Samanoff and Jochelsen to total and complete frustration with their patients because they tried to obey the law, they tried to cleanse, cleanse themselves, but with the power of their own wills. They'd like to have been clean. They'd like to have had a change because they see the misery, the thinking crooked, brings to you. Because after all, you know, man is homo sapiens. That is, man the thinker. And if he thinks crooked, he's lost his species. Haven't we? If we think crooked, 
We are no longer Homo sapiens, we are Homo stultus. Man the fool. Because we're made, because we're made to think. After all, Jesus, our Lord, is the Logos. And the Logos is the one that has concepts, thinks, and develops concepts. You might say, the thinker. Because we're all made by his thought. We were made in eternal thought. And the thing about Jesus is, he's the head of the human race, he's the son of man, and he's the son of man as the thinker who conceived us. And so if we think like him and he forgives us our sins, then indeed we are cleansed. And that's the only therapy for it. You understand? And if you put that through absolutely consequently every day examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith think a lot about him the thinker who conceived us and put us on earth in his own image as the thinker and if we ask him to open our understandings that is our method of thought as the disciples had when he opened their understandings to understand the scripture. If we do that, he'd do it. And the trouble with criminality is this, that right from the childhood, we allow a child to go the way it wants to. Now that child is in no position to be able to know the way it should go. What you've got to do is instill into the child with love and patience that only a mother and only a father know with love and patience say look here that that you've done just now was a lie will you put it right I didn't allow my wife didn't allow our children you know, to go to bed to let the sun go down on their wrath or their sin and even recently where my, where my children have grown up you know uh, when they're in examination the examinations in Europe are every two years and they're time of great great stress because if you lose them you lose another year before you can take them and so a kid is under great great stress in his physical when he takes his last preclinical examination and my children both of them who are doing medicine in Germany they work 16 to 17 hours at their table every day for three months to get through these exams and just as we got on the, the, the train to get on the plane here to America I went down to the post office at 7 o'clock in the morning with my youngest son on my arm they love to go down with their daddy down the mountain you see to the post office and the postmaster met me our train was to go in ten minutes and he said I've got an express registered letter for you sir so I said I know what that is I know what that is that's the result of my boy's exam now we have a very good relationship to the people there he said open it here sir well no boy you don't want that you know he's a big boy bigger than I am uh, <laughs> he didn't want that but I looked it up and you know that was 82%, 82.5%, he passed it. 
Now, the joy and the relief of that, you can imagine, just before we went on the journey, was very great. But during this time of preparation and swatting, learning, there had been one little thing, one or two little things that come up when a person, you know, in a house, you do say an unkind word and it isn't right. First thing is, before you go to bed, I don't say anything. Daddy, I'm sorry. I mean, a boy that will do that, if you can bring up your children in God's grace to do it, you're okay. He loves the Lord and he's got the forgiveness for it. Now, the last little story I have for you is quite a simple one. Uh, but keep it and take it with you, friends. Uh, one day, when we were in America, in uh, Wheaton, a uh, little girl comes creaking into the house with a bloody face. Now, when a little girl cries very loudly, you know that there's frustration with it as well. When they suffer in sorrow and quietness, uh, it's a different matter altogether. So I said, well, who did it? Blood down her face. She wouldn't say. So I think I know who did it. Because we had this before, on occasion. So when the someone came in, I didn't, with any with no ado, I put him over my knee, and I belaboured him, you see. Only with my hand. But normally, if a child is guilty, uh, it'll suffer it and doesn't take any ill from it but this time he shrieked very very loudly very very badly and didn't suffer patiently so uh, kept saying daddy I didn't daddy I didn't and he had the ring of truth about it you know you always know when a preacher's preaching the truth don't you uh, or if he's just bearing false witness you know that don't you well this sounded true to me like a bell that hasn't got a crack in it so I said well then who did it daddy I'm not at liberty to tell you that <laughs> well I thought no that's very noble that's very noble that's a double mark you've had a dose and now you say you're not wanting anybody else to get a dose and I said um, to him well now you didn't, did you? No, he said, Daddy, I didn't. And that was perfectly straightforward, and I knew it was true. You can tell when they lie. You get near for that. And uh, well, I said, what are we going to do then? And he said, I don't know, Daddy. You can't unwhack me. You whacked me. <laughs> and uh, I had it, and I'm not guilty. I didn't do it. Well, I said, then what shall I do? We well, said, Daddy, that's your job, not mine. <laughs> so I said, Well, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a suggestion. I said, Daddy, what? So I said, The next time you do two things, once and twice, of the same gravity that would earn the same uh, punishment, you should go free. The next twice that you do it two times, then you go free. He looked up at me through his tears and he said, Daddy, there's hope for you. <laughs> well now, I tell you a lot more stories like that tonight. But you see, the real thing is this, that 
what we need to do is to bring up our own hearts to think on that which is good if there's anything good if there's anything pure if there's anything holy that'll straighten out your own thoughts he says you know if we look at the Lord in his word he will change us by stages into his image the Quintin letter okay now that's all a way of training your own thoughts and then if you train your own thoughts by the grace of God you'll be able to train your children but whatever you do don't let your own thoughts go in undisciplinedness don't do that for out of your own heart are the issues flow the issues of life watch your own heart watch your own lips because out of your hearts whatsoever the heart is full of of that the lips will flow over examine what you've said during the day a friend of mine made tape recording for all day of what he'd said and he was shocked in the evening because out of the fullness of the heart or the emptiness of the heart the mouth speaketh and if you take very care to, great care to go this way of holiness yourself you'll have less trouble with bringing up young people and your own kids because what we need is straightening out in our thoughts and if we can do that then God will preserve us from all evil the promise is there shall we pray together we ask thee Lord Jesus that thou mightest purify the source of our hearts the source of our thoughts that thou mightest keep them in ways everlasting and may serve thee as we ought help us to concern ourselves with thee and thy word regularly every day that we might enjoy thee forever and Lord Jesus make our enjoyment of thee so manifest that others will want to join us in this feast we ask it for thine own name's sake thou hast made us to be like thee thy sons and thy daughters Amen